1: Psalm 144, on your notes there, Psalm 144, if you'll go there with me, Psalm 144, we're going to begin in verse 1. What are we talking about tonight? Supernatural weapons. Supernatural weapons. When I think of, you know, the natural weapons that man uses today, those weapons have the ability in them to do exactly what they were created to do if they're deployed. God's weapons are no different. He has given us weapons in this life to overcome the works of darkness. Within those weapons, listen carefully, is the power to do exactly what those weapons are designed to do. What's the key? We've got to deploy them. We've got to know how to use them. We've got to know what they are. We've got to know how to use these weapons. In these last days, I will promise you, you need to know the weapons that are available to you as a believer. Because the enemy is totally unrelenting in his desire to want to continue to drive back the body of Christ. But if we walk in the light of these truths for us and to help others with it, we will walk in victory over our enemies. Amen? Amen. Psalm 144, verse 1. Psalm 44, verse 1. Blessed be the Lord my, underline that, my rock. He's who you're standing on. He's who your strength comes from. Notice what he does. Who trains my hands for war. Now we know, New Testament again, our enemies and our weapons are not natural. So New Testament, he's talking about training us as believers to use the supernatural weaponry he's given us and to be able to exercise those weapons and use them. He trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He trains us for war and our fingers for battle. On number one on your notes... Really quick, we're going to go through a handful of these, and then we're going to slow down and start going through 11 things that we have as weapons to us as believers. Number one, the Lord is the one. Say, the Lord is the one. one. Notice this. The Lord is the one who changes us from being passive followers, you ought to underline this, to aggressive warriors in his kingdom. God's called believers to be aggressive warriors in the kingdom. The New Testament talks all the time about warfare and this battle that we're in. A lot of believers, sad to say, are very passive followers and they are not aggressive warriors in the kingdom of God. When Jesus left this planet, as we'll see in one of the verses we'll look at, he gave us a commission, what we call the Great Commission. That commission has everything to do with driving back the forces of darkness. If the body of Christ will use the weapons they're given, use them the way God intended, Everywhere we go, we'll be pushing back these forces of darkness. You know what that means? Goodness shows up. Deliverance shows up. Come on, freedom shows up. Salvation shows up. Healing shows up. Truth shows up. And that's what God wants. But if we're passive and just kind of sitting back and don't really understand or know much about these weapons or how to use them, not only can the enemy take advantage of us but he can also continue to hinder the body of Christ from fulfilling its God-given call. And that's what's happening today. I mean, clearly, we see a lot of believers who really are passive, who have no knowledge of the weaponry given them, or just not using it. But we need to be. I said we need to be. First and foremost, over your individual life, over your personal family, over your church family, and in this world every day when you walk out into it. There should never be... A time that an attack comes against your family that you don't know what to do. We'll say that again. There should never be a time as a New Testament believer that an attack comes against your family that you don't know what to do. As a believer, you're here to be equipped to do the work of ministry and you should know exactly what to do whenever an attack comes. Whether it's physical, whether it's a context of a, a battle in the sense of what it seems like in the natural as a social battle, Between a husband and wife or, you know, mom and dad, whatever, or, you know, uh, uh, dad and kids, whatever. No, you should understand, uh, again, Satan works behind the scenes. Constantly to try to cause wars within our lives and our homes, within our lives and our church, and within the body of Christ as a whole. You and I got to realize that Satan knows this better than most Christians do. The number one thing... As I love, Kathy and I, we were listening to a message on the way up to Amarillo. The number one thing the Bible reveals, brings the glory of God, God's power into manifestation, is unity. Walking in unity. So the enemy wants to divide. Well, how does he divide? Let me help you. Ignorance. Ignorance. Most people would say, well, he divides by all these things he brings out against us. Well, if we're ignorant of what to do when he comes, then he can take advantage. What if we're not ignorant of what to do? What if we're not ignorant of who we're fighting against? If we're not ignorant of what to do or who we're fighting against, then guess what? He don't win. That's right. Are you listening? We do. We do. So how could he bring division? He can't. He cannot. So again, who is it that trains our hands for war? The Lord does. Who is it that trains our fingers for battle? Us from a spiritual perspective of how to use what we've been given. It's the Lord who does this. And thank God all through scripture, he'll show us this. Amen. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let's go over and start getting into some things that we have available to us as a believer, as a New Testament believer. This is a powerful one. This is one I want to kind of stir up in some of your spirits. How many of you ever gotten a prophecy of the Lord, prophecy that you definitely knew without a doubt was of the Lord? It goes along with the Word, doesn't go contrary to the Word. You know it's for your life, hasn't come to pass yet. Anybody had anything spoken over? So listen, the enemy doesn't want to see those things come to pass, right? Right? We've had prophecies about that building. He don't want to see that building built. Do you think he wants 28,000 within seven miles to have a strong church uh, family to be a part of? A place to be equipped and trained to walk out the last day? No, he don't want that. He wants us to stay in this little building. Now, you know, some of this comes about as ignorance just out of uh, wrong focus. Let me explain. As an example, I've known people in years past who literally have told our church family, I don't want to see us grow I want us to stay small. Now listen, we don't need to focus on quote unquote growth. We focus on obedience to God. You listening to me? We're to plant and water. God gives the increase. But how many know God wants us to reach souls, people that aren't born again, and therefore they need to be added to the body so they can become disciples? Right? So listen, this is a kind of an ignorance when you say, well, I don't want to see us grow. Here's what you just said. I don't want to see anybody get saved. I don't want to see anybody get delivered or set free. I don't want to see any believer. How about you? How about you before you came here that if you were already born again and you were believing God for your pastor and you came here and found him, how many want to see that that others out there who haven't found their pastor yet don't find it? No. We want them to find their pastor. If, if I'm their pastor, we want them to find that pastor. If I'm not, we want them to find that pastor. But it's, it's wrong of a wrong view of a, of a believer to say, we just want to stay small, stay in this little tiny building. We couldn't accomplish half of our vision of what God's called us to do if we stay in this building. But thank God, in Jesus' name, we're going to get that new facility. And do you realize what that's going to do? I mean, pastor's going to come do a Holy Spirit conference. We're going to bring Josh Barclay and do an invasion youth conference. Any idea how a youth that's going to change? I mean, that's going to touch. Why won't they do it here? Too small. They will draw so many people. We We wouldn't have room for them. Can't do it. We will also have now all full three years of SMTI up and running with classrooms there for SMTI. On top of doing missions conferences with Terry Mize, who's already agreed. See, this is all part of why God started putting... These people, connections with us, us with them, them with us, right? It's part of why it brought Terry to us and why obviously Terry agreed to move down here. It's a part of the plan. But we can't do that here. I said, we can't do that here. And when you're doing these kind of things, you are changing multitudes of people's lives, which is what it's all about. So you and I need to realize we need to walk in the light of the prophecies that have been given us as a form of warfare, as a weapon. Look at this. First Timothy chapter 1. You there? Verse 18. Stalled as long as I could. Paul said, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy. If you don't know, Paul was literally the apostle of the day who was also a pastor over other leaders. Timothy was one of those pastors. He's a young pastor of the church at Ephesus. He was a young pastor under pastor under Timothy. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, under Paul. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according, underline this, this charge, this charge. In other words, this isn't an option, Timothy. This isn't an option. You need to do exactly what I'm telling you here, son. Notice what he tells him. According to the prophecies previously made concerning you. Now, we don't go looking for prophecies. I said we don't go looking for prophecies. And we don't just believe every such prophecy unless it's in line with the word and we know who spoke it. But this is Paul talking about the prophecies God spoke through him over Timothy. He said, I want you, according to those prophecies that were previously made concerning you, I want you by them, watch this, to wage the good warfare, underline it. To do what? Wage the good warfare. With what? The prophecies. The prophetic words that he had given him. Look at your notes there, number two. The Bible teaches us to war a good warfare. Say good warfare. Now, again, it would only be a good warfare if the prophecy was of God. But if it is, uh, aren't you glad still has ways to reveal to us things of what he desires for our future? That should confirm a witness in our heart. Shouldn't be a shock to us, right? Oh, my gosh. God wants me to go to where? Boogalahoogala? I never heard of boogalahoogala. Shouldn't be a shock to you. It should be a confirmation in your heart of what the Holy Spirit's revealed. And it should be in line with the Word. And obviously your pastor knows it's not out of line either. If it's a call that's going to take you, obviously, to raise you up and send you out somewhere. But I'm just talking about even in your own personal life. So again, the Bible teaches us we're to wage a good warfare according to what? According to what? The prophecies spoken over our lives. Think about this. I've got many prophecies spoken over my life some of which have come to pass, some which have not yet come to pass. And I take those prophecies on a regular basis, some I have on audio, some I have written down. And I take those prophecies and I remind the devil, God spoke this over my life. And I decree in Jesus' name, his word is life and it is power, and you won't stop it from coming to pass. You know why? Because I believe in those prophecies. See, the way you wage a good warfare over the prophecy, you're exercising faith in it. So because you're exercising faith in God's word, take any promise of this, that would be a form of a prophecy, and put faith in it and tell the devil, I believe the word of God in Jesus' name. Well, guess what? You're waging a good warfare so should we do concerning prophetic words that have been given to us that we know are of God. Now, I gave you this in a different translation to help you see a little clearly even more what he talks about about using these prophecies as a form of a weapon in warfare. Here in, I believe this is uh, God's, words, God's Word translation, this charge and admonition I commit in to trust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with prophetic uh, intimations, or in other words, utterances that he gave him, which I formerly received concerning you, listen, listen, so that, notice this, so that inspired and aided by them. Underline that. So that you are inspired and aided by them. See, if you're inspired by those prophecies, guess what? You'll rise up and start declaring that's coming to pass. So that inspired and aided by them, you may what? Wage the good warfare. Well, I know God spoke this over me and it had not happened yet. I'll tell you why, because you're still saying it hasn't happened yet. What you got to do is do what? Take that prophecy and know when it was of God, knowing when it's in agreement with the word, and declare in Jesus' name, that's coming to pass. I declare God's word over my life. I was given, right here, pastor was, was done preaching, our pastor one time. Uh, he stepped down and all of a sudden he stopped, like right about there, and he turned around. He'd asked me to come up. He turned around and he pointed at me and he said, He said, Daryl, the Lord just spoke to me and said, God is going to send people to hook up with this building vision that aren't even a part of your church. Amen. But they're going to want to be a part of helping bring it to pass. Just part of the body. God's going to speak to them. We haven't seen that happen. Now, actually, believe it or not, let me back up. There have been some. There have been some. I don't don't even know these people who have given online. I just see their names who have given towards our building fund. That's already begun to come to pass. So I keep declaring in Jesus' name, Father, I thank you. You said it. My pastor didn't say it. You spoke to him, and you said there would be people that would hook up with this vision, that would hook up with this building fund. Uh, to be able to help us get it built. Amen? Amen. But you got to keep doing what? Speaking that prophecy and declaring that prophecy just like you the Word of God and saying, in Jesus' name, it's coming to pass. Satan, there's nothing you can do to stop it. I believe every word of it, praise God. So some of you, if you've got prophecies you know of God that haven't come to pass, you need to go back and dig them back up. They're no good to you sitting under a book somewhere or hidden away. No, you're supposed to be reminded of those words. And really, honestly, what you're doing is two things. You ready? You ready? You're reminding yourself of what God said. Guess who else you're reminded? The devil. devil. Let me remind you, devil, what God said about me, and I believe every word of it, praise God. And it will come to pass. Amen? So you got to do what? Use those prophecies given you to wage a good warfare. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We started touching on this verse in our study on Sunday mornings about thinking like God thinks. I want to go back over here. We're going to see this in context to what we're talking about tonight about the spiritual weaponry, weaponry we have, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Number three on your notes, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty, underline this, mighty through God. i want to bring this back to your attention. We're going to get back into it on Sunday about the context of dealing with strongholds in our life, but I want you to see this and I want, to get you, I want you to get a hold of this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you're there, say amen. I'm going to go right to verse 4. For the weapons, you should have that underline. Of our warfare, you should have that underline. Now, if there's warfare, that means you're in a battle. You might not be engaged. You should be. Just because you're not engaged doesn't mean there's not a war going on. There is. But the weapons of our warfare are not what? They're not carnal. They're not of this natural world. They're not fleshly. What are they? Underline, circle, highlight this next word. Mighty, listen... In God. Highlight, circle, or underline those words. They're mighty in God. What are God's weapons? They're mighty in Him. So think again about, you know, context. I've heard Pastor Barclay talk about different weapons he used when he was in the military. And, of course, those weapons already have the power in them to do what they were created to do. All you have to do is deploy the weapon. Guess what, child of God? The supernatural weapons you have from God are the same. You're not going to make that weapon accomplish its goal. It has the power in it to do it. What are you going to do? Deploy it. If you deploy the weapon, it'll do its job. I said, if you deploy the weapon, it'll do its job. I'm going to say it one more time. I said, if you deploy the weapon, it will do its job. Tell your neighbor, he's preaching better than your amen tonight. I want you to think about that. They're mighty in God. These weapons are mighty in God. All you got to do is deploy them. Just deploy them. So he says, they're mighty in God, watch this, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, that's reasonings contrary to what the Word of God says, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. One of the reasons Satan constantly brings uh, false knowledge to our minds and to other believers is because God's people are, are actually perished or destroyed, the Bible says in Hosea 4, 6, for a lack of knowledge. But with God's word, you shouldn't lack knowledge. So he says that these weapons will also go against anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Meaning what? Expose the lie. If something exalts itself against the knowledge of God, what is it? It's a lie. I want you to get that. What's God's word? It is truth. Right? And if something exalts itself above the word of God, what is it? It's a lie. Because it certainly ain't ain't of the truth if it exalts itself above the truth. Well, you got weapons to deal with that called the word of God. So he says this will also deal with things that exalts itself, verse 5, against the knowledge of God. And it will bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. It will arrest it. It will bring it under its control. What will? The weapons God has given us. So in relationship to these verses of 4 and 5, what are these primary weapons? The Word of God. Well, that's one weapon. Now think about how many verses there are in Scripture that are weapons. You have the Word of God for healing. You have the Word of God for deliverance. You have the Word of God for anointing. You have the Word of God to expose every lie. You have the Word of God to bring you peace. You have the Word of God to bring you joy. Think of all the different Scriptures That deal with all these different aspects of your life. So it don't matter where the enemy attacks. I have weapons. Come on. I have weapons. What do I got to do? Deploy those weapons. Well, you can't deploy what you don't know. So you got to know what you have. You got to know what the word says. But then you got to know how to use it. It ain't hard to use it. How do I deploy it? Get it coming out your mouth. Speak it out your mouth. The sword of the spirit is not the sword of the spirit until you speak it. It, I mean, it is a sword, but it's not doing you any good till you take it out and use it. And you don't take it out and use it unless you start speaking what the Word says. You and I need to learn this. Believers need to stop living a life of waiting for the enemy to attack and then to actually counter. No, no, no. We're supposed to be on the offensive. We're supposed to be going forward. We're supposed to be taking back over America. Come on, we're supposed to be taking over Ponder. We're, demons should not be taken over where we're at. Demons should not be taking over our homes, our kids, our families. No, we should be on the offensive. Far too many Christians get overtaken because guess what? They're sitting down doing nothing. And then when the enemy attacks, now they think, oh, I got to do something. No, you should have been doing something before then. But if you hadn't been, you better start. So this is powerful. Number three on your notes. Again, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but what again? Say they know what to do. God's weapons have power in it. That's why you don't even have to rely on the gifts of the Spirit to obviously work in the context of the supernatural to help people. Did you know you have the ability to help people supernaturally with one thing? The Word of God. The Word of God. His Word is Spirit. It's of Him. It has life in it. It has healing in it. It's powerful. That means it's filled with power. Supernatural power. God's Word has the power in it to do exactly what He said. But it doesn't do any good unless we deploy it. It doesn't do any good which, unless we use it. So uh, notice this, 3A, this, these weapons help us to do what? To even bring down strongholds, to the pulling down of strongholds. You could have in your life or somebody else have in their life a stronghold, something that has a stronghold on their thought life and therefore their actions and how they live. But guess what will destroy that? The Word of God will. Amen. Now, pulling down means it's not always instantaneous, right? But you keep lobbing those weapons, and guess what? That stronghold's going to get destroyed. 3B, casting down imaginations or reasonings. God's weapons, the Word of God, will also bring down reasonings that go contrary to the Word of God. That doesn't mean you argue with people that don't believe the Bible. You just speak the truth. Well, if they don't agree, you do what Jesus did. You do what Jesus told His disciples to do. What did Jesus tell His disciples to do? Go share the gospel when He was still here, right? What if they don't receive you? I don't have an itch. Just shaking my feet off. Just doing what he said. What do you say, do? Shake the dust off your feet. Move on. So we're not going to sit there and try to convince somebody who doesn't want to have faith in the word or what the word says. It'll work for anybody who has faith in it. That weapon will go to work. But if they don't want to hear it, I don't argue. You listen, I'm not going to try to fight with them. I get a handful of people once in a while, and I'll post something on, on, you know, on Facebook to try to help people with truth, and they'll come, well, oh, I don't believe that. This is what I believe. Then quit following me. Right. Quit reading my posts. Right. I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm just saying that's, this is a black and white truth. Right. Right. This isn't quite, quote, unquote, gray area. This is black and white. Right. You know, last one I got a bunch of flack over some guy who was about uh, church attendance you know, I don't need a shepherd. I don't need to go to church. I got Jesus. Oh, so you're not going to receive the gift Jesus has for you. Jesus said he had a gift for you. Well, I don't need one. So what you're saying is I'm denying the word. Then he didn't like that. He got really upset. And he said, so now you call me a liar. I so I didn't say that. I said, you're denying the word. Well, at that point, or, you know, now at this point, he don't want to obviously hear what I have to say. Well, let me back up what the Bible has to say. So at that point, you got to walk away from the conversation. I'm not here to try Listen, I'm not you and I are not here to try to convince people the Bible's the truth. It's truth whether they want to believe it or not. If they don't, I move on. Amen. So 3B again, it has the ability though to deal with reasonings and to help people come in the light of the truth. 3C, it also will do what it will also work in subjecting every thought to the Word of God, helping us to get every thought subjected to the Word of God. How many of you ever watched like I've showed you a couple clips once in a while, Ray Comfort witnessing. Like, especially the gang guys, you know, down in Pismo Beach or, you know, some you know, place down in California whatever. You know what he does? He just speaks the truth. Yeah. It's amazing how many times I've watched him come up to people who were actually for abortion. And after talking to him and hearing the truth of God's word, just the truth of God's word and what the Bible says about it, how all of a sudden they don't agree with abortion anymore. Or even revealing the truth of what happens with an abortion. You know, a lot of people believe in abortions, have no idea what they're like. And he would talk to them about, you know, what obviously happens in an abortion. They actually created a movie. I can't remember the name of it. But they actually showed all over across the country different people who claimed they were pro-abortion watch this movie. And it was like in the 90 percentage range. Can you get this? 90 percentage range. That by the end of that movie, people changed their minds, didn't agree with abortion anymore. By seeing what happened, by hearing the word of God, by understanding that's a life, that's an individual... From the time of conception, God put it in there. So all of a sudden, these people see truth is what helps bring people's reasonings down to hear the very truth of God's word that can help free them. Amen? Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, speaking of fivefold ministry. uh, Excuse me, no, this is weapons, I'm sorry. Ephesians chapter 6, speaking of the armor, the weapons we have. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Say, Praise the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to pick it up in verse 12. Ephesians 6 verse 12. I know you know these, we've taught on them many times. We'll just kind of briefly go through them here. Verse 12 again, for we do not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood. So since we don't, what are our weapons? They're not carnal. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. These are forms of darkness, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, that's not humans. Again, that's spiritual uh, entities against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Because we do battle against these foes. 13, what should we do? Take up the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to do what? Stand. Stand there for having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you'll be able to quench what? All the fire darts of the wicked one. And take up the helmet of salvation, which is the sword of the Spirit. Notice this, obviously relating to the Word of God. 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication with all the saints. Now, some, you know, add verse 18, prayer, as one of these weapons. Prayer is a weapon. In the context of these, though, I agree with Brother Hagen. Brother Hagin said you need all these parts of armor so you can pray effectively. If you have all these parts of armor on, now you're going to be an effective prayer warrior and you're going to be used by God mildly to accomplish what God wants to do. So on your notes, note of this. Number four, the armor of God is considered as weapons of warfare even though... Most of it is a form of defensive weaponry. It's still a part of our weapons of warfare. God wants to protect you in the warfare. And the primary weapon you need is the word of God on your lips, the sword of the spirit. But in the midst of that, he's going to protect you in the midst of the battle. Aren't you glad? I'll just go over them with you real quick. 14. The first one is what? It is the girding of your waist with truth. Simply meaning what? Surround yourself with the word. Surround yourself with the truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Right. And that means that you understand fully what you have as a child of God being made right with God. Right? Remember what uh, uh, Revelation 12.10 says, we overcome him by the blood of the lamb. What's the blood of the lamb relate to? That's how you made were made righteous. So you need to understand, I have right standing with God. If you don't understand that, Satan can run right over top of you. But if you understand, I have right standing with God because of the blood of the Lamb, not because of what you did. I posted it again today. God gave me this phrase years ago. I've never forgot it. He said, you need to teach my people that they're not earning anything from me by being obedient to my word. They're learning from me how to use what I've given them. Why would we obey the word? We're not earning anything. We're learning. I didn't know how to walk by faith in God before I got born again. I didn't know how to use these weapons. We're learning. Say learning. Learning. But you know what? You can't use those weapons in a way they weren't intended and have them work. So you got to learn. You got to learn how to use these weapons to obviously experience what God has for your life. 15. The next one, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of... And the Bible tells us wherever we go, we're purveyors of peace. So that just means we're not strifers. You know what we come with? Peace. We come with peace on our lips. Wherever our feet take us, We're trying to bring peace. That doesn't mean ecumenical or everybody will be at peace with you. But if they won't, guess what I'm going to do as a weapon? I'm going to walk away. I'm not going to get in division and separation and strife. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be able to agree with everybody. And that don't mean you're going to be able to walk in unity with everybody. But I'm going to walk in peace with everybody I can. There are people, sadly, as we've read many times in the Bible, that are believers who literally, quote-unquote, claim Christ, but they deny the power thereof to change their life. From such people, the Bible says, turn away. We're not being arrogant. We're just simply obeying the Bible. We're guarding our life against people. Here's something I've taught you many, many times. The Lord reminded me again this afternoon. Anytime you know you have a believer that's living in a form of deception, they will not receive correction from leadership. Let me help you. For you to hang around them, you're going to be deceived. If they're deceived, what are they going to do? Influence you in the same way. Because it's a demon. It's a work of Satan. And that's why we're guarding our life. But understand, I'm going to try to be at peace with everybody. Amen? Even if I don't fellowship with them, I'm not going to speak against them. I'm not going to slander them. Come on, somebody. No, we're supposed to be what? Purveyors of peace. Because peace is a great weapon. The enemy wants to bring strife and division. Why? Now he's at work. But when peace is in the operation, guess what? He's being defeated. Next one, uh, verse 16, above all, taking the shield of what? Faith, which will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the... So how do we take up the shield of faith? Well, faith only comes one way, right. hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You can claim to have the shield of faith on all day long. But if you don't hear the Word of God preach, faith isn't being built. It's like what Pastor brought up again. I've heard him say it many times, we're at Emerald of the Holy Spirit Conference. God gave every human on the planet a measure of faith to get saved. Every human. If they, How, how are you going to actually get born again without faith? You can't. you got to have faith in Jesus. Who gave you that faith? God did. God gave every human on the planet a measure of faith to get saved. But once you're saved, guess what you got to do? you got to now build your faith. How do you do it? Hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. So when you know what the Word of God says and Satan lobs one of these lies at you, But you know the Bible. You believe the Bible. Guess what you do? You raise your shield of faith. I don't believe that. I'm not the defeated one. I'm not overcome. I'm not going to be overcome. Come on, I'm not going down. I'm going up. Hallelujah. So this is what you do by hearing the word of God preached. You keep this shield of faith strong. So when these lies come, you're able to quench these fiery darts. 17, take the helmet of... Take the helmet of... I like this. Now, in another context in Thessalonians, it says the hope of salvation. I've taught you this many times. Our pastor says it this way. Think saved. Think saved. Now, I'll I'll add to that. Think saved with an expectation of what's to come. Because the Bible says you and I are to take on this helmet, which is a hope of salvation. How many are ready for Jesus' return? Well, even the Bible teaches you that if you maintain a hope of his return, you'll be prepared when he comes. If you are expecting him any day, come on. This will be a protection to your thought life to keep you living right in the sight of God so you're not going to get taken advantage of by the enemy. And be a lukewarm believer, come on, and get vomited out of Jesus' mouth when he comes back. That won't happen if you're expecting him to show up any day. So you're thinking saved, meaning what? Of my eternal salvation. I know He's coming, and I'm ready. Say, I'm ready. I'm ready. And the last one, sword of the Spirit, which is the... And again, that don't work unless you speak the Word. So that's not hearing it now. That's taking the Word, going on the offensive. Tell your neighbor, get your sword out of your sheath. Every day. Every day. When you are in your home, it should be out. Not against your family. You don't use it against humans. Every day, that's you, that man... That, that sword is at work in my life the minute I step in my shower. I'm declaring God's word over my life. I'm using that sword. I'm speaking that word over my life. You should be doing it everywhere you go. I speak it over you as a church. I speak it over this place. I speak it over our community. I speak it over this surrounding area of North Texas where God's called us to. You have to take that sword and go on the offensive. The sword was not designed to sit in your sheath and just sit there and do nothing but look at it and see how pretty it is. Right? And a friend comes up. You know, it's like a pocket knife. And you just pull it out and show them how sharp it is. And then stick it back in there. But you don't use it for anything. You just have it kind of as a as, a, as an appearance piece. No, no, no. Sword of the Spirit should be, be used in every day. If the Word of God is not on your mouth every day, believer, I will promise you you're not utilizing the weapons God gave you. Because the greatest weapon you have is His Word. Any amens on that? So you ready for this? This is powerful. We're going to go over a list of 11... Supernatural weapons. Woo, glory. Eleven supernatural weapons. How many are ready for this? Yes. So here we go. Number one, we already talked about the Word of God, known as the sword of the Spirit, the truth. What does the truth also do? Set you free. Yes. So think about the Word as a weapon in so many ways, right? First and foremost, what if I know the truth? John 8, 31. If you abide in my Word, you're my disciples indeed. You will know, 32, the truth, and the truth to do what? So if I live in the Bible, now, abide in the word means I don't just live in the book and read it. I live it out. I live it out. Because the context of the Greek language here says, 32, you will know the truth. The word know there doesn't mean in your head. It's not a brain thing, although you will, but that's not what it's referring to. That word know means to actually experience by example to experience by example. If you're living in and living out the Bible, what are you doing? You're experiencing it. Yes. You're doing what it says. That's right. Automatic, it's a given. See, everybody loves verse 32. How many like verse 32, John 8? You'll know the truth, the truth has set you free. Anybody ever quoted that? Yes. Anybody ever heard anybody else quote it? Yes. But you know what? That's an Automatic. That's an automatic. We don't have time to turn there tonight. Verse 32 is an automatic. What, meaning what? I don't have to in any way try to come to know the truth to be set free. Because to know means to actually have knowledge by experience. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. So how many of you want to experience knowing the truth setting you free? you got to back up and do verse 31. If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. You're following in my example. What's a disciple? What's a disciple? Basic understanding. Follower of somebody else, a student of somebody else. You're learning from them to follow their example. And Jesus said, if you live in and out my word, guess whose disciple you are? You're mine. So what are you doing now? You're living like him. Help me preach somebody. This is so simple, but people miss it. You're living like him. You're walking like him. Well, if you're walking like him, guess what you're going to see? Verse 32 is going to happen in your life. You're going to know the truth by experience because you're doing what Jesus did. And guess what? You're automatically going to walk in liberty. So quit thinking of 32, knowing the truth here. No, 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 no. Abiding in the word means come live in it, come hear it, preach, and put it in application. And if you do, you're walking as a disciple of Jesus. You're following him. So therefore, you're going to know by experience what what he himself knew. You're going to know freedom. Come on, you're going to know liberty. Tell me that ain't good stuff. You know, there's so many little truths like this that get overlooked in the Bible. I'll throw a little extra little rabbit trail out here for you about something I learned today from Dr. Roy Hicks. Dr. Roy Hicks was one of our pastor's uh, closest spiritual dads. The last person Dr. Roy Hicks wanted to talk to on the planet was Dr. Mark Barclay. He had called him and said, I want you to come see me, son. Last time you're going to get to see me. He said, I knew that. He said, I'll be there. So he flew out there and he spent some time with him. And before he left... It was a long story, but before he left, uh, you know, Roy Hicks finally told me, he said, now get out of here. I'm going to heaven. I'm done, Mark. I'm leaving. Don't even try to keep me here. Just get out of here. Go on to the door and don't look back. Don't look back. So he started walking over the door. He started to look back. He said, okay, look one last time. So he looked one last time. said, goodbye, Pastor. And he walked out the door and he got on his plane started flying home. And just as he hit the ground, he gets a call from Roy Hicks' son. He said, dad's going he, dad's going uh dr barclay right now right now he's going he want me to call you well man i'd have to refuel the plane try to get back to you You're talking multiple hours he said no 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 he just wants to talk to you on the phone i'm gonna put you on speakerphone he's right here and it was dr hicks his son and i think um, i think one of his wife i think might have been his wife or somebody with him but anyway just to, just those three in the room and he said mark I'm going home. I, I probably messed all the exact words up, but something to this. I'm going home. Just want to let you know I'm leaving. I'll see you in heaven. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being a good son. Goodbye. And he laid back and he went to heaven. Tell me that ain't a way to go home. It's a great man of God. I was listening to a teaching his other day. He used to teach at Brother Hagin's camp meetings. I never heard this. Never heard this. What a power. And it's so simple. How many of you know the Bible? Simple. How many you ever heard in context of Thessalonians, the Bible tells us what's holding back the Antichrist from rising to power? You know why there can't be a nuclear war? Don't let somebody think, oh my gosh, we're going to have a nuclear war. No, we're not. Not, really. not possible until the church is removed. Church is right. You listening? It is not possible biblically according to the Bible. And every great end-time Bible scholar taught this, including Dr. Sutton, mm-hmm. including Roy Hicks. If you understand the Bible... God had him study, Roy Hicks had him study in times in the latter part of his life as a minister. And he said, all this talk about, you know, new, there are going to be wars and rumors. There will be some wars. There already is, right? Look what's going on in Ukraine. Rumors of war. But there will be no nuclear war. It's actually re- recorded in the Bible. But it won't happen until the tribulation period. You won't be here. I said, you won't be here. So he said, did you know that in Thessalonians it says there, how you ever heard there's going to be a great apostasy falling away? That before the Antichrist comes, there has to be this great apostasy or falling away. He said, you know what? We have misquoted that word all these years. He said, all the Greek scholars I learned from and I've gleaned from over the years taught me that word doesn't mean what you think it means. It doesn't mean a falling away. The word apostasy actually means a gathering. And it never refers to a gathering spiritually. It refers to a gathering physically. Now, right in that same context of Scripture, it tells you what's keeping the Antichrist from appearing. What's keeping the Antichrist from appearing? The true body of Christ. They know their authority. You listen in? They know their authority. They're using their authority. But once the church is gone, Thessalonians says, when the church is out of the way, guess what? He will rise to power. But what will happen first? Apostasy. A gathering. A gathering. Gathering what? A physical removal of the gathering of the body of Christ with Jesus. And once that happens, then he will rise up to power. It never referred to a falling away of believers. It referred to a gathering of believers to heaven. Tell somebody next to you, can keep learning from the Bible. I just learned that today. And you know how many years, like everybody else, I've taught this falling away? Now, there is some talk. talk Jesus talked about the love of many growing cold. But in Thessalonians, it's actually referring to the catching away of the church, which goes right along with the context Of what he said would happen before the Antichrist would rise to power. Say, I'm going to be ready in Jesus' name. Say, I am ready in Jesus' name. Yeah, it could happen tonight. So, number one, again, the word, sword of the spirit, the truth, 1A. This is especially powerful, guys, when they are spoken out of your mouth. But again, just walking in the light of that truth is powerful. Did you get that, what I was saying earlier? I mean, you're not necessarily that sense speak. You're living it out. Just living it out is powerful. Because you're walking in the light of the truth, and the truth does what? Sets you free. Number two, how about your confession? Confession is a powerful weapon. Because confession isn't just speaking the word. Confession is also using our authority. Confession is also declaring what we know we have a right to speak over other people as well. Even our country. Even our country. Two-way, confessing the word of God and having a positive confession rather than a negative one. Powerful. Confessing the word of God and having a positive confession rather than a negative confession. How do you have a positive confession? Say what God says. How do you have a negative confession? Say what your problem says. To be calling those things that are not as though they were. And that is one I would love to preach on tonight, but I don't have time. And this is a part of what faith does. A lot of Christians get it backwards. It does not say in Romans chapter 4, God calls what is so as though it is not. Listen carefully. God does not call a, let's say this pulpit. This How many old pulpit's here? Can you see it? It's here. No, the pulpit's not here. See, God don't do that. He doesn't call what is as though it's not. Relating to the promises of God that aren't manifest in your life yet, what are you supposed to do? Call what is not as though it is. Romans chapter 4, verse 17. God is a God who calls those things which don't yet exist as though they did. When you've got God's promise for something in your life that hadn't come to pass yet, what do you do? Confess it. God said, this is mine. Come on, somebody. Oh, here we go. Blab it and grab it group. Yeah, I'm part of that group. But you got to believe it when you say it or it won't come to pass. I love this guy came to Brother Hagin. I don't believe in that confession stuff. Okay. I don't believe in all the stuff you teach that if you say this and say this and say this, it'll come to pass. Okay. He said, I don't believe any of that stuff. Okay. He said, are you walking in those promises of God? No. He said, it's working for you perfect. Because right. you confess you don't believe in it, it don't work. Guess what? See, it's working for you. It's working just the way God said it would. Because it ain't just about talking what God said. Anything you believe you, you speak. Mark says, chapter 11, 23. Whatever you say and believe in your heart will come to pass. So do what? You need to call those things that are not, come on, as though they were. If your body's attacked, you're not a body. You're a spirit. So at, the, at that very moment, your body physically is not healed, but spiritually, in the eyes of God, it is. You want to see it change? What do you do? You start calling your body healed. Right? Now, don't go to doctor and they say, well, you got this, and say, no, I don't. See, now you're calling what is as though it's not. That's not faith. I said, that's not faith. But what we do is focus on the problem, what God said, the promise of what God said instead of the problem, and we start saying, Body, you're healed because God said so. I know you've been attacked, but guess what? It ain't gonna stay. See, we I've taught you this for years. Faith never denies the existence of a problem. You know what faith does? It changes it. Jesus never denied the existence of a blind man being blind. He changed it. Hallelujah. He never denied the storm coming at him, he changed it. Come on, somebody. 2. C. How about casting the mountain out of our lives into the sea? <clears throat> Jesus said to do it. When you face an obstacle, Mark chapter 11, he said, you can speak to the mountain, command it to move, it'll obey you. Yeah. 2. D. How about angels and demons? <clears> hosts, <throat> good ones. And demons will do what? Respond to the words of your mouth. The Bible declares these angels of God that are here as ministers, Hebrews 1, for us. You have angels here that are, that are ministers for you, to minister for you. The, the book of Psalms says they hearken to the voice of God's Word. You're a child of God. When you speak God's Word, guess what you're doing? You're giving voice <coughs> to God's Word. And therefore, angels can hearken to that and go to work for you. But you can also deal with demons. Are you listening? By the name of Jesus, you can deal with demons and they have to obey you. Are you, are you still here tonight? How about prayer number three? Come on, 11, 11 supernatural weapons. Prayer is a powerful weapon. Yes. I try to help everybody every time we come here on Monday night. Don't think we're just going through the motions here, folks. Let's really get praying out of our spirit, man, and get out of our heads here. And I don't mean like crazy, weird. I just mean not just going through our minds, but allowing our spirit, man, to speak through us. What God wants us to say into this earth. And to pray about, why? Because it's powerful. If you're praying in the perfect will of God, stuff's happening. Yes. I love James 5. Yes. The effective fervent prayer of the righteous the Amplified says makes tremendous power available makes what? tremendous power available tell me that's not a weapon so 3a you got to realize both praying the word and also what? praying in the spirit praying in the spirit I'm going to get the quote wrong probably, but I'll bring it back to you. This was also cool. Brother Hicks said, you want to be effective in prayer? Here's what you do. You come before the presence of God with the word of God on your lips and you'll be effective in prayer. When you bring your petition to God, you bring the word of God on your lips. Don't come to God. Don't come to God in prayer. The Bible tells you this. God said, bring my word back in remembrance to me. He said, "Let's plead our case together, but you got to do it by bringing my word back to me." And brother Hicks said, "I learned this and I got very effective in prayer when I learned it." God said, "Don't ever come before me ever in prayer without my word on your lips." Cuz that's what I hearken to. That's what I can bring to pass. You bring your moaning, groaning, complaining, Oh my God, oh what are we going to do? I can't do nothing with that. You listening? You don't find Paul praying those prayers. Paul and Silas. Come on. Locked in a dungeon. What were they doing? They were praying, and I guarantee it wasn't, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Because they were also singing praises to God. Hallelujah. So every time you petition God, Jesus said, you go before the Father in my name, he'll do it. But Brother Hicks, man, that's powerful. Brother Hagin said similar statements, but not exactly quite the same. And the Lord told me, he said, when you come before me with a petition of prayer, you come with my word on your lips. That I can bring to pass. Not your moaning, groaning, complaining, whining, whining, you know, right, right, sniveling. Think of me, Christians waste so much time. I've been there, done that. So much time in prayer and never never been effective. Mm -hmm. Brother Hagin used to teach on prayer and he'd say this. We pray to get results, not just to pray. A lot of Christians just pray. God never told you just to pray. God wants you to pray and get results. Say amen, somebody. How about number four? How about your prayer language? Weapon, powerful weapon to pray in the spirit. Yeah, praying in tongues is a powerful way to do what? Speak the mysteries unto God. You're releasing divine truths, hidden truths God wants brought into manifestation. How about 4B? It will also do what? It will also keep you built up spiritually. Yes. Any amens on that? Yes. How about the eyes of the Spirit? Let's go to 2 Corinthians 4 because some of you might go, What? The eyes of what? Your spirit man. Your spirit man sees things. Yes. You listening? Yes. Not just your natural eyes, talking about your spirit man. I'm going to show you. Your spirit man sees things that your natural man can't get a hold of. If your natural man could do it, you wouldn't have need to have been born again. I'm talking about these natural eyes. You're a spirit inside this body. My body has natural eyes. but My spirit will leave this body someday. Now, if Jesus comes back, this body will get obviously a brand new body. You still here? But if my body ceases to function, I'm going somewhere. Well... Can I really see? So I have a question for you. How about back over here in the context of what God said in the book of Revelation about the very guy who was in torments in Hades. Remember this? He's, he's now dead physically, but his spirit's in Hades, and he's looking over into paradise, right? Guess who he recognizes? Abraham. He has eyes. His physical eyes aren't with him. They're back up on the earth in that ground up there where that dead body's at. But he had spiritual eyes to see. You have spiritual eyes. Your spirit can see. Your spirit can see things of God, things of the Spirit. Now, I don't mean real crazy, weird, ooh, yeah. No, I'm just talking about seeing things that, you know, are of spiritual nature. Second Corinthians chapter 4, 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are so how do you see what's not seen? With your spiritual eyes. With your spirit man. You get a hold of it with your spirit man, seeing it is already done in your heart. Are you listening? You look at those things which are not seen with the spirit, man, with the inside, with your heart. The things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are what? Eternal. So one of the weapons you have, five, is the eyes of the spirit. Five, a using the keenness of the inner eye is a real weapon against your enemies. Because if you see healing in your heart, the enemy cannot rob you of your health. Come on. If you see blessing and provision in the eyes of your heart from God of what he said about you, guess what he can't do? He can't make you poverty stricken. He can't destroy your finances. Come on, somebody. Number six, how about knowledge? We got to look at this one too. Go to Jeremiah 4. Knowledge is a weapon. Say it. Knowledge is a weapon. Jeremiah 4. You bored yet? No. That's good. That's good. Hope you're speaking the truth. Hope you're not just saying that because you want me to hear that. Jeremiah four. I'm not either. I enjoy this stuff. Jeremiah chapter four. Say praise the Lord. Praise now Hosea four six. You should know. I just quoted it earlier. God said, "My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge." Look at what Jeremiah said here. Jeremiah chapter four verse twenty two. God through the prophet Jeremiah said, "For my people are foolish." I mean, you know, it's not good to be a fool. Yeah. My people are foolish. Why? They have not known me. They are silly children. They have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. See, if you have knowledge from God, you'll know what's good. If you have have knowledge from God, you'll know what's foolish. You'll know what's wise and you'll know what's foolish. How many know there are five foolish virgins and five wise virgins talked about in the Bible? How many know part of the five wise virgins is they don't like knowledge? Foolish virgins are those who don't have knowledge of God. They don't want to know. They want to keep doing their own thing. So, knowledge is powerful. It's a weapon. Number six, knowledge 6a is a form of what? It's a form of authority. If you have knowledge, you have a type of authority because you know who you are, you know what you have. 6b, without that knowledge, without it, you're easily destroyed, and therefore, with it, you're what? You're hard to destroy. How about tithing? How about tithing? It's a weapon. Seven A. God does what? God's, God. Malachi three says he rebukes the devourer for your sake. Seven B. It's an insurance policy over your life because what you're doing is you're choosing not to live under the cursed system of the world. You're choosing to live under the blessed system of God. Long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest. Number eight. How about the Mark sixteen kind of faith? Remember, this is the Great Commission. Notice he said this. He said these signs would follow those who believe. 8A, uh, signs will follow. B, casting out demons. C, they'll speak with new tongues. D, they'll take up serpents. And that's not physical snakes. He was actually referring to demonic powers there. E, nothing can do what? And F, they'll be able to heal the sick. sick. How about presbytery utterances? So this ties back to presbytery is fivefold ministry. Prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Could be when I spoke a word over you, I'm part of the presbytery. Pastor spoke a word over you. He's part of the presbytery. Just talking about the fivefold ministries. How about presbytery utterances? So we've already gone over this in detail. Clearly that our prophecies are a weapon, are they not? 9A, prophecies that were given over you. And 9B, even commissions, ordinations, or even specific assignments that were spoken over you by your leaders. Those are powerful. They're powerful weapons to come against the works of darkness. How about number 10, positive resistance? Positive resistance. What's positive resistance? What's James 4, 7 say? Submit to God and you're automatically resisting the devil and he will flee from you. Positive resistance. 10A, you resist the devil by being steadfast in the faith. And B, by submitting to God, you will do what? So if we just submit to God, what are we automatically doing? Tell me you're not deploying a weapon. You're deploying a weapon. You're resisting the devil. Can I get a better amen? Amen. Guess he don't want you to go to church? Guess what happens when you obey God go to church? You're deploying a weapon. Amen. How about getting along with God? How about being a witness for God? Last one, it's nuclear. Pastor calls this the nuclear weapon. The name of Jesus. Let's close in Luke 10 tonight. Come on. Let's look at it real quick. Remember Jesus sent the 12 out with authority. They came back sad. Depressed, upset, frustrated, mad, angry. Didn't know what they were going to do. No, they didn't. How they? What they came back? What? They came back. What? They came back. What? They came back rejoicing with joy. Amen. You should come back to church every week rejoicing. So he had sent them out with authority to go out and do what he had done. They come back seventeen. 1017, the 70 in this case returned with joy saying what? Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Name's a weapon. He went on to say, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. See, this isn't just the 12. This was 70 disciples. Trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Because your names written in heaven, guess what you have use of? The name. The name of Jesus. So 11, the name of Jesus is a great weapon, 11a, because even the demons are subject to us, you and me, in his name. Because it's just like if he was there. Praise God.